You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Okay, if you have not heard about Cash App, you're going to love me. You want more from all these free apps used for just free and fast money transfers, right? Well, I've got the hookup for you. The Cash App. The Cash App card is a free Visa debit card that lets you use your Cash App balance to pay online and in stores. It's also the only way to get Boost. Now, let me tell you about Boost because it's exclusive to Cash App. Boost are reusable instant discounts that work at places you actually go to, everywhere from Starbucks to Walmart to even the PlayStation Network store. You can do so much more than buy and save money with this. You can even purchase shares of stock in companies you love by investing as little as $1. Banking is also made easy. With Cash App, you can directly deposit paychecks, tax returns, and more to your Cash App balance using the unique account and routing numbers. And if you don't think things can get any cooler, it does by allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, the money of the future. Selling and receiving money on Cash App is as easy as entering a phone number, using another user's name, or simply scanning a QR code. Hit the special link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. That is, use that link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. So go on. Go ahead and hit that link in the show notes and get set up with Cash App today. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, Murray. I think the last time you and I spoke to each other, it was right around the time the plague was starting. It was uh, right around the time that both of us stopped finding interesting things on TV to watch. And right before people started rioting, worrying about murder hornets. And we were still stuck in our homes for another couple months. So what have you been doing to keep yourself from losing your mind lately? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I've been reading and writing like a lot. And then this this will sound weird, but like, you know, the sparkling water, like the glass bottles. Yeah, the San Pellegrino stuff. Yes. So I got it like spray paint. I just spray paint like a bunch of things and I send it to my friends as a gift. So it, it's just weird because one day I was just so bored. I was like, OK, what can I do with this? So I started like painting bottles. That sounds weird. I know. But it's well, it like, are you, like, are, are you like you know, designing like different designs on them, or yes, I am okay, I am, yeah. So it's weird, but you know, I, I mean, at least, at least you're doing something. I feel like people's hobbies recently have been getting more dull by the minute. And the one thing that always bugs me is like before this, 
like, you know, the one thing I hate is when you have to make small talk at like mixers or connect or like networking events. It's like, so what do you like to do for fun? And people are like, right. oh, you know, I, uh, I Netflix. Apparently, Netflix. Net, net, yeah, Netflixing became like a hobby. And it's like, that's not a hobby. That's literally not doing anything. Like, mm-hmm. go, go collect like stamps or like I don't even know go bird watching or something. Yeah, I don't know what else to see on Netflix. Like, I haven't watched every single thing, like, entirely with. Yeah, Netflix and YouTube and Hulu, I feel like I finally reached the end of that. And now I'm just struggling every day to figure out something to occupy my time. Exactly. I need a new playlist. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, like, such a first-world problem because here we are. We're surrounded by everything we could possibly want to entertain us. Mm-hmm. Yet you know, trying to find stuff to continually entertain us is the problem. My biggest thing is like once movie theaters start, that's what I'm going to start hitting up immediately. I miss the experience of buying like overpriced candy and soda and sitting with strangers in a dark room that smells like feet watching a movie I may or may (laughs) not like. Something about that I just really miss. Yeah, just like seeing people, you know, it's, it's just so weird that I have been at home after CPAC until now, it, I'm just like, okay, I'm done with this. I need to do something with my life. I feel like I've wasted like four or five months of my life doing <laughs> nothing. <laughs> this is horrible. Well, you've got some interesting stuff going on. And for folks tuning in, I'm talking to Maria Fernanda Bello. You're the director of coalition at Young Americans Against Socialism. Uh, you did that. And then suddenly you found new reasons to fight with people on Twitter What's life like been since? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, so that, that's the thing. The commies are coming after us. So we, we just got to defend <laughs> ourselves, you know? You just got to defend yourself. You just got to tell them what they don't want to hear. I, I, I find it funny because it's like people are preparing for like either a communist uprising uh, in the inner cities. <laughs> Or they're waiting for things to turn into like Mad Max's Australia, where we're all running around in leather outfits shooting at each other. Um, I, I've, I've got to say that the one joke that I got tired of really fast at the beginning of this was when people were equating like people waiting in line at Walmart for toilet paper to what people in like, mm-hmm. you know, your home country of Venezuela are going through. When you heard jokes like that, were they funny or was it just frustrating seeing people complain about literally one thing, toilet paper, which will constantly be resupplied the next day because it's not like there's a shortage or a mass scarcity in terms of toilet paper and stuff like that. What, what was it like when you would hear jokes like that at the beginning of this whole pandemic? Um, so let's just start by saying that when I, so I went to the grocery store, like days after they said that we were going into quarantine, um, I went to the grocery store and, and it brought me flashbacks from Venezuela because there were so many empty shelves and things like that. I was like, no, 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 wait, this cannot happen here. It's the United States. It doesn't happen here. It, it, it just cannot. I was just so like, I think it's just, it was a flashback. I was just like, it cannot happen here. Um, it makes me kind of mad because I've heard so many people saying, oh my God, I feel like I'm in Venezuela. I was like, no, you don't feel like you're in Venezuela because you have never been in Venezuela. You have never lived in Venezuela. You don't know what it's like to live in Venezuela and to go through this to the things we all went through. So it just kind of makes me mad because people, like, for example, in here, if you don't find toilet paper today, you can go the next day and you might find it or even the same day. In Venezuela, you can spend weeks without toilet paper. paper. 
And it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but it's it's literally what's going on in Venezuela. I'll never forget one of the first moments where I really began to pay attention to what was going on in Venezuela it was around 2016 when Maduro um, was really kind of settling into his power and really beginning to clamp down on things. I think there was a riot at the Caracas Zoo, and mm-hmm. there was there were reports of people killing like flamingos and fighting polar bears mm-hmm. to eat them. And I thought this was something like out of an episode of South Park until I actually mm-hmm. started seeing the reports from like uh, neighboring Brazil and stuff like that translating into English. And I was like, wow, this is happening. And I mean, for the most part, I think Americans have like this kind of skewed look as to how life in South America is. I mean, when you look at countries like Venezuela, for example, I always remember when I was growing up, it was one of the richest nations in South America. I mean, Mm -hmm. the country is gifted with many natural resources other than just oil. And things were relatively safe until Chavez came in. And now, yeah, and now you would think, thanks to people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Sean Penn and the like, that life before Chavez was just absolutely terrible and that he was this defender and great protector of the people. And the, we need to be more like him and how his regime in Venezuela was here in the United States now. It's like this yeah. rose, you know, the, this we're, we're looking through rose covered lenses in this case. To me, Bernie Sanders is just like Chavez, but an American Chavez, if, if, if that makes sense. With less um, charisma. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give Chavez yeah. that compared to Bernie. Chavez had more courage. Yeah, he talked so much for hours and hours and hours, and he will not, he wouldn't even go to the bathroom. And you're like, how can you talk for like 15 hours without going to the bathroom? But let's not go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was talking to one of my friends about this. My grandparents had a farm. Uh, they bought this farm in 2000. I was four years old. They had horses, every kind of animal that you can ever imagine. They had it. Um, two years ago, my grandma had a stroke. They have to move from the farm to, to their house in the city where we live. So they went back to their house. Um, so they didn't have anyone to take care of the farm. Um, but they would go like every week, you know, just to check on the animals, make sure everything was fine and things like that, you know, just to things like that. So one day they came back and their horses were not there. It was just the head of the horses. Someone like the godfather? Someone killed our horses. What like the four fuck? five of them. Like four or five of them. They killed them and they sold the meat as it was a cow. So this is what it's happening wow. in Venezuela. Like people will steal from their neighbors just so they can eat. The worst thing is that the National Guard is literally two blocks away from where my grandparents' farm is. Long time ago, when I was like 10, 12, I remember my grandfather, he will always, every time that he would go grocery shopping in the city and he would bring it to his farm, he will always give them a bag full of food just to thank them for everything they have done for us. Like, you know, to take care of our stuff, to make sure we were fine. Right. But now the National Guard, it's literally, I mean, they're against us. They're against their people. So you're telling me 
that someone went into our farm that's literally two blocks away from where your your station is and you're not going to hear gunshots or anything like that. So that makes me think that they were the ones who killed our horses. And, you know, it, it it's just insane to think that you will go into that. You will kill horses just so you can eat. But, I mean, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's something that my grandparents had to work hard to buy them just to have them. One of those horses was mine. So, it, it, you know, it, oh, it, it, it just makes me sad. And he was named after me, which is the worst thing. Wow, <laughs> like, that's that, that's like a double punch to the gut right there. They kill your yeah. horse and it happens to be the horse that they named after you. Yeah, because my grandfather oh, would say that she was skinny, just like me. So he <laughs> named her Maria. So it, it, it just makes me sad to think that now they have nothing. And, you know, my grandfather, he loved I feel terrible for laughing. This is, a, this is a terrible thing to laugh at. I'm laughing in shock, not at the yeah, situation. This is, I know. this is horrifying. Yeah, he loved his farm. And now he's thinking on selling it because he said, I mean, the people that he trusted were the people that did this to him. We had a guy taking care of our farm. This guy has been taking care of our farm for more than 10 years, probably like 15 years. This guy, he took our guns. He took everything he could sell in our farm and he just left. We don't even know where he is. So who knows? We, we don't, at this point, we don't even know who killed our horses. But like, come on, are you literally going to leave the head over there just so we can see that you kill our horses? Like, um, like that's some that's some Godfather stuff right there. Horrible. He wakes up and he sees the horse head in his bed. That's um that that's horrifying. How how long were you there before you came to the United States? Um, so I was born and raised in Venezuela. I left when I was seventeen, and month after I graduated from high school. So it has been almost seven years since I left Venezuela. Um, I went back in 2014. I stayed for like six months. So I came back again in 2015 to the States. And I haven't been back since then. So it has been five years since I haven't been back home. And, you know, it's it's the whole situation over there. It just scares me that I can get my family. Like if something could happen to them because of me. I mean, I'm over here speaking up against the government. You, I don't know if the government knows who I am. I mean, I used to do campaigns against them when I was 14. I used to do campaigns against the, the government until I had to leave, until I was 17. And then um, at this point, I don't know if, if, if they know who I am, if they know I'm speaking up against them. Uh, I mean, I have had so many politicians that work for the government to block me on Twitter. <laughs> because that's I know that's something to be proud of. Yeah, I know who they are. Um, actually one of them, uh, he's from my city and I remember my last campaign, he was running for mayor and I told him, I'm not going to support you. I'm not doing campaign for you because I know who you are. I don't want you as the mayor of my town. So he knows who I am. So (laughs) I, 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 you know, when I, when I found out that he was uh, with the government, I just started like going off on Twitter uh, on, on his username. I was like, hey, how many dollars did they give you? Like, how much did you sell the country for? How much did you sell your soul for? You know, like these politicians, they think we're stupid. I always said this, our generation is the generation that is going to change the whole entire situation in Venezuela because these politicians, they're all corrupt. All of them. It's um, it's one of those situations that seem really alien to people that don't understand what's going on. They can't really understand the context of it. And uh, I mean, the only 
the the only way that I have learned about it is through really American reporters over the years. I've tried to really understand what's what's actually going on in the country uh, mm-hmm. from actual Venezuelans, and that seems to be the the difficult part about it. I know growing up in uh, in Arizona, you know, a few miles away from the U.S. Mexican border, like mm-hmm. for example, in in Mexico, you have you know, you do have the ability to speak your mind and you could speak publicly about the government and things like that. But like Mexico, for example, it's just such a dangerous place to be active in politics or journalism. Most people, while they might legally be allowed to say what they want, they're usually, they they don't say anything because they're either afraid of the cartels or crooked cops coming and, you know, hurting them or their families. What's it like in Venezuela when you're doing these things? I mean, is there such a thing as, you know, in the United States, we have the First Amendment, which protects your right to, you know, speak your conscience. Are you able to do that? And if you are, I mean, what's, where are kind of the dangers of doing that? Because I think we take it for granted in the United States. Yeah. If you're an American liberal um, and you're calling Trump a fascist, I mean, mm-hmm. he's not going to send anyone to attack you. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to lose your job. You're not going to jail. I mean, if, you know, if let's say they were right, then he's like the worst fascist on earth because he doesn't <laughs> do any of the things that they accuse him of doing. In fact, he's protected them on more than enough occasions, whereas other uh, dictators and other presidents across the world would have done horrible things to them. So I think we really take it for granted here. So what, what's it like back home when you try and do that? Yeah, I think you guys, uh, well, we all do, including myself. But in Venezuela, there is no such a thing as the First Amendment. If you do speak up against the government, you're either going to end up in jail or you're going to end up dead. Um, I have friends that have ended up in jail. And uh, one of them was actually facing 15 years in jail. So if, I don't know if you have seen videos, but you see all of these kids, uh, students protesting against the government. You know that at the end of the day, something's going to happen to them. I have a friend right now that I told him, hey, you better slow down because you're doing too many things and the government will come after you. Actually, the government did tell him, hey, you better slow down because you're going to end up arrested. So, you know, the word is to know that you, you're just trying to defend your country and, and you cannot do it because you're either they're either going to kill you or they're going to arrest you and put you in jail for the rest of your life. Is so this something, jail. I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, in Venezuela, it's not, it has never been like that, you know. It, oh, well, even even better. Um, I remember my grandparents, they used to work for the petroleum company in, in Venezuela. Um, and I remember I will ask my grandma, Grandma, why do you vote for Chavez if he's not a good guy? She told me, if I don't vote for him, he's going to find out. And then he's not going to give me my retirement money. He's not going to give me, you know, my health insurance. And she must work for her whole entire life in this company. Obviously, she has she, she has to have her retirement. I mean, someone that's 60, 70 years old, you are going to tell me, hey, you don't vote for me. I'm not going to give you that monthly money to support yourself. So I remember she would, t- I mean, right now it's nothing. It's like $5, but I remember she would tell me if I don't vote for him. And that's what Chavez will tell the, our people. He will tell them, if you don't vote for me, I'm going to find out. And then you're all going to get fired. And then I'm not going to give you your retirement money or any, any of the help that I do give you. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. It's, I, I mean, it's just, 
we we don't like to think that that's going on in the world. And usually when we think of countries that behave like this, I mean, we usually go to America's usual suspects. We're thinking Russia, we're thinking Saudi Arabia, we're thinking Nazi Mm -hmm. Germany. This is literally within our own backyard. And I Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, what what goes on in, in Central and South America should be something that we think of more and it should be more of an effect on our lives because when you look at trade, when you look at culture, it's one of those things that really doesn't get paid attention to unless it's like an immigration problem, unless you have people coming in from like Guatemala or El Salvador, um, Mm -hmm. you know, coming through the Southern border into the United States. It's like, we never talk about it. When, when you see the American media talk about, you know, things like this, especially when they do talk about Venezuela, which is rare. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think, I, I think the American media has really intentionally ignored what's going on in Venezuela. I mean, ha, ha, what what do you think of their coverage? Do you think they're doing it, you know, a just job, like they're doing it fairly? Or do you think that they're lacking some of the actual work they need to do to show what's actually going on? Because there's this severe disconnect between how like CNN wants us to look at Venezuela oh, yeah. and how Venezuela mm-hmm. is. I mean, I, I got, I got to call them out with that. It's usually MSNBC or Venezuela. And usually when we hear about it, it's that we don't know what's going on and that we just need to listen to what the Maduro regime is talking about. And that's just not what they're supposed to do. They're actually supposed to show people what's happening and they usually don't do it. And usually when I listen to like a national public radio, for example, it's very brief. You might hear about a riot here or there. You might hear about a strike or something, but it's like a, a cliff note in an entire hour uh, news feed. Yeah, I think that they're not being honest. They're not, I don't know if it is because they're scared of losing their jobs or just because they just want to be ignorant to what's actually happening in the country. Uh, CNN is just the worst. <laughs> let's start from there. Uh, let's just start from there. Um, the thing is, you know what's happening in Minnesota because of social media. That's how I know what's happening in Minnesota. Uh, that's primarily friends, it. Yeah, because my friends told me or because I'm always like talking to them because I have my, my friends are over there and they're students. They're the, these students who always go out in the streets to defend the, to defend the country. And I'm always like, you know, talking to them, hey, be careful, let me know what's happening. And they always send me pictures, videos and things like that. So I can post. So just so the people that follows me, the Americans that follow me, they actually see what's exactly going on there. So you know what's even in the country, you know what's actually even happening in the country because of social media. There is no such a thing as a TV TV channel or something like that that will tell you exactly what happens because the government is going to get that TV channel out of the the cable thing. So that's how you know what's happening because of social media, which is really sad, no? Yeah, I mean, despite all the negative things we say about, you know, Facebook and Twitter, it really is like one of the best worst things to ever happen, or maybe one of the worst best things to ever happen, because it's a double edged sword. Um, Just curious. I mean, I'm I'm really ignorant about a lot of this. So if I if I sound like I'm asking a stupid question, I I apologize. But like, is the is the meat or media outlets in Venezuela? Are they state run? Or are they allowed to act publicly? Um, I mean, privately. Um, so, I I mean, all of my friends, they're always like posting stuff, you know, things like that, but they have to be really careful with what they say, because I mean, you never know if one day you're going to get out of your apartment and the government is going to be waiting for you outside your door. So they just got to be like really careful um, with what's actually 
um, what they're going to say or, or things like that. I have had, again, I have had so many friends that the government have already told them, if you keep doing this, we're, you're just going to end up in jail. And you see all of these politicians, these people that are like 20 something, they have been arrested and they, they have been in jail for years. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take some questions that we got from uh, followers of mine on Instagram and folks. I go ahead and I post Instagram stories asking you to go ahead and submit your questions on a pretty regular basis. So if you're not following me on Instagram, so that way you can engage with the show, get your questions brought up in, in future episodes, go ahead and follow me at Hey Remso, it's just H E Y R E M S O. Hey Remso on on uh, Instagram, I'm there everywhere, and you can go ahead and submit your questions when I go ahead and put that uh, sticker on one of our stories. One of them uh, asks, "What are what, what are the views of the average Venezuelan towards the United States?" Because it often seems like, and I I will admit that we do this to some degree um, publicly, but when you look at when you look at different administrations, different governments dealing with the United States, there seems to be a lot of propaganda put out by the government to turn the, the population against the United States. Is that something that happens or are people more mixed in their views about the United States? Uh, what, 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 what would you say if I were to go on, on the street and ask someone, hey, what do you think of the United States? What, what would they typically say? So what I think is that Venezuelans were hoping that United States will be the country who will get who will help us get get rid of the government. That's we that's what we actually think. Um, I don't think we. I mean, I don't hate the United States. I love the United States. I think it's just like I mean, as you see, Venezuelans with Biden. <laughs> so I that, mean, that seems kind of weird when it comes yes. to Joe Biden. It's like uh, yes. it, when you when you look at who's actually tried to get involved and actually advocate for what you see the the people of Venezuela looking for. I mean, the Trump administration has done more than any of the last several US yes. presidents. Actually, yes. Um, he he doesn't get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I have always said it. Uh, the United States, well, actually Donald Trump has been the only president who has actually thought about doing something against the Venezuelan government. The others go to Chavez and Maduro and just take pictures of smiling. That's what Obama did, that's what Joe Biden did. And those pictures are out there. So now you're telling me that you're gonna do something for the Venezuelan people when you have a picture smiling to someone who has killed thousands of people. So I think this administration has has been the only one who has actually said something about Venezuela, who has actually supported Venezuela so much, who's actually um, receive so many Venezuelans. Um, it's it's just really hard. I mean, when I talk to my family in Venezuela, they always tell me Donald Trump is the one that's going to do something. Actually, my my family in Venezuela supports Donald Trump. Wow, it it, it seems like it it gets really tricky because when, when we think about our country going and getting involved in the business of another country, it's kind of double-edged because what we've seen is that at the end of the day, I think America will always be the biggest force for good in the world. When hurricanes happen, we send a U.S. Navy carrier out there and we provide medical uh, relief and aid and food and protection at no cost to the country we're helping. When we look at our NGOs, 
um, that are going and helping with, you know, third world and developing nations overseas. That's usually at no cost to the government that we're, we're mm-hmm. going to aid. But then there are other situations where when you look at American influence in, that, in Latin America, it, it usually isn't that comfortable. Usually there are some tensions with that. So, I mean, when it comes to America, the government coming and helping the Venezuelan people, especially right now with uh, President Guaido, what, what does that really look like? Um, honestly, I think that every Venezuelan right now, they just want to get rid of the government, that they don't care who actually comes to save them. Um, I think many Venezuelans do actually want the United States government to do something. Um, what we don't want, what we want exactly is just first get rid of them, and second, we probably just want a, we just want a new administration in Venezuela. So we don't want the same politicians who has you know negotiated with the government. We don't want them. We want new people, new politicians, the ones that actually care about the country. So uh, when, when you're talking about the government, are you talking specifically about the remnants of the Maduro regime? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I think this is what kind of confuses people. We know that the United States and many of our allies recognize President Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like you still have this counter government with mm-hmm. Maduro saying that, you know, the election was rigged or whatever, and yeah. Maduro is still president. So how's that? I mean, how, I, I can't imagine that ever happening in the United States. What's it like? It yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what's it like in this case? Do, do the people really recognize that? Yeah. Gu- Guaido is the president and this is our new government. Is there a schism? I mean, what, what what's it like right now? Honestly, they do, but it just doesn't matter anymore because they know that Maduro is going to do whatever it takes for him to keep uh, to keep the power. Um, Guaido doesn't have the resources to help people right now, so it, it's just whatever Maduro says, whatever Maduro does. Um, the bad thing is that um, they keep talking about negotiating with the government, which you cannot negotiate with a dictatorship. You cannot negotiate with someone who has killed so many people. So that's the problem with the opposition. They just want to negotiate. They want to keep doing the elections. Um, why are you going to keep doing elections if you know Maduro is going to win anyway? Is, um, yeah, I mean, this is just, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find the, the right way to answer this question because it's just like, it, like it's a very complicated situation. Um, I, I'll just, I'll just kind of break it down. Like, Okay, the, the military. Is, is the military the fact? Okay. They're, they're with Maduro. Uh, they do whatever Maduro says. Um, we have some, um, you can say, some people from the military who has gone to um, support the opposition, but most of them are with the government, with, with Maduro. So the military is with Maduro. Uh, assembly all of those things belong to maduro pretty much the whole entire country wow um what about the police uh maduro all of them all of them um i mean the the military is corrupt the so pretty much when you think about the, the police or the national guard or 
the military, when they know that if they don't work for the government, they are not going to eat. Just imagine, they're obviously going to support the, the Maduro regime. They're going to keep supporting them because they know that they are the only, the only way to, for them to eat, you know, even though it's not too much what they paid them, but they know if they don't do their job, Maduro is just going to, like the government is just going to fire they, them. They have, they have more to lose than they have to gain. They but. have, exactly. By saying it like that pretty much by leaving, exactly. Um, it's really sad because the military is just killing our students and it's, it's just horrible. They're killing our students. They're going against these kids. These kids only, they don't have anything to defend themselves. We know that the military, the police, they have the guns. The criminals have the guns. The students who are actually out there trying to defend the country, they have nothing to defend themselves. So this is why we have so many students dying from gunshots because of the, the government. Would you say that there have been any positive changes since really the, the the kind of fracturing of the government between Maduro or Guaido, or has it just been another chapter in a, in a series of unfortunate events for the people? Of another, another chapter. Um, I hate to say it, but it's just another drama, another day, same thing. They keep saying the same thing, but nothing happens. I mean, when Guaido, um, he, when he became the president, um, the interim president, we thought that it was going to be our hope to take our country back, to actually do something. But it, it has been like, what, two years now? And nothing has happened. So it's just another day, another day with, the, with Maduro, another day with the same thing, another day of no finding food, another day of, oh, I'm scared of going out because I might die. Another day of the same thing. Nothing has changed. Another day that we cannot, we have to get in on a line from like 14 hours just to get gas in our car, things like that. That's that's heartbreaking to hear. Um, what, what have happened for to people that, you know, think like you do, that this is something that, you know, that this isn't good. We have to change it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, some people might have family. Some people might just want to say, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I've heard some reports saying that a large number of Venezuelans were, were able to leave and that yeah. in some cases, a lot of them have not been able to leave. If let's say, like, let's, let, let's say I'm, I, I'm, I'm a Venezuelan citizen and I want to mm-hmm. leave Venezuela is that is that possible? Like, is there anybody stopping me, or can I leave? Well, uh, if you have a passport and you have money, so you can go somewhere, then you might be able to leave. Um, but if you don't have a passport and you don't have money, then I am so sorry to tell you, but that might not happen. Um, for example, my family has tried to get their par- passport for like three years now, and what they tell them is like, oh there's no material to do the passports or hey today if you pay me two hundred dollars i will give it to you tomorrow but then you go to the next day it's like oh if you give me five hundred dollars i will give you your passport things like that oh so, it, so basically it it's not about can you it's about corruption it's, it's about, about money. corruption okay yeah it's about money so um it it has been so difficult for venezuelans to be able to leave i left like almost seven years ago and it was kind of easy it was it was fine 
But if, if, if you're an average Venezuelan who has nothing, um, it's hard. For example, um, I have a friend, uh, the government was, um, they, he, the government wanted to arrest him. <clears throat> and then this guy, he couldn't go to an airport because if he knew he would go to the airport to take a plane to leave Venezuela, the government will actually capture him. What did he, he crossed the river from Venezuela to Colombia just so he could go to Colombia. And there are people walking from Venezuela to Colombia and they spend like 15 days walking just so they can escape socialism. Wow. So I had it easy. I was one of the luckiest one. I was one of the luckiest person to take a plane and come here. And that was it. But there are other people who are not. What what was it like when you were coming to the United States? Because I know like it's, it, I, don't, I don't think it's changed, but like I can't take a direct flight to Cuba or to Venezuela. That's that's barred for American citizens. What's it like when when you tried to come in into the United States? Um, so I flew uh, Caracas, Houston, Houston, Washington D.C. Oh, so um, you could fly right in. Yeah, well, that was seven years ago. Right now, you cannot do it. If you want to leave Venezuela, you have to go to Colombia, Colombia, Panama, Panama. Uh, it, it's a long trip. It's wow. a long trip. It, it's bad, but. <clears throat> So when I came here the first time, I, I, I remember when I left the first time, I remember I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna be back in one year. I'm just going to go study English and then I will come back. I will go to school here. Um, I got here and then probably two weeks after I was like, mom, I am going to stay here. I want to I go to school here. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I have things I don't have over there. I have freedom, which is one of the things I was looking for. Um, I'm not scared of seeing people because in Venezuela, there's this thing, if there's someone with the motorcycle coming like towards you, that means that person has a gun and that person is coming to take your phone or, or something like that to rob you. So I remember one of my friends, um, he has just come to my school and I remember going out to eat. And then he saw this guy on a bicycle and then he like, was like freaking out. I was like, what's happening? What's going on with you? He's like, there's a guy on a, on a bicycle. I was like, nothing's going to happen don't worry so we have like a trauma like we're traumatized pretty much um i had a trauma with guns um because i got robbed twice in venezuela with a gun pointed at my head so i hated guns i hated guns i believe me i hated guns i was so scared i couldn't see a cop i couldn't see police nothing because i was so scared until i actually understood that guns are made to defend yourself so in venezuela it was like a, a whole entire entire thing but once I got here, I, I told my parents, um, well, my mom must leave. My dad lives in Puerto Rico. So I told my mom, I was like, um, mom, I'm staying here. I'm going to go to school here. And I'm going to have a life here. Well, um, how, how was the reaction from your family when you told them that? That's exactly what she wanted. Uh, she wanted me to stay here. because so she, she was cool with I, it. Yeah. She knew if I, will, if, if I came back to Venezuela, I was going to just keep doing the campaigns, the against the government and for my major what I wanted to go to school for I had to leave in the capital that was actually the only school in the whole entire country who had that my major and I would have to leave there and obviously my mom didn't want me to go to the capital it's dangerous over there so that was my only choice so when I she heard that she was okay cool now that's actually what I wanted um what what were some of the other culture shocks you experienced when you when you finally started actually settling down in the United States, 
probably when I went to a supermarket and <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. The, the memes of the, the memes of supermarkets and other stores, you know, encountering socialism are all over the internet. So I can only imagine what it was actually like walking into a Walmart here. Yes. I was like, oh my God. I was like, gosh, like shelves are full. Um, I have like 10,000 type of milk and cereal and things like that. Uh, it was just shocking to me to, you know, like, I was like, wow, <laughs> is this what a real supermarket looks like? It, it, I mean, it's just funny because I think, I mean, like I've said on, on multiple multiple times so far. I mean, we take so much for granted. That's why when Bernie Sanders was running for president the first time in 2016, uh, somebody asked him, what are some of the things that bother you? And he said, well, it bothers me that you can go to the store and find seven different types of deodorant, but people oh, yeah. can't have access to healthcare as if those things are connected. And it's like, Bernie, mm-hmm. what, what are we going to have? Just the deodorant. We're not going to have competing deodorant. Like he, he, he had this complete hatred for, uh, for competition. And, and this is one of the things I, I kind of want to transition to. It, it's this um, almost elitist mindset that really patronizes the pain of people actually going through the hardships that we, we really don't have a clear understanding of in the United States. And I see this whenever um, you're online. I, I see this a lot with Daniel DiMartino. Um, you, you always have these, they're, they're usually middle upper class um, liberals who are from the East Coast, it's usually the stereotype of it, who will just go, on, go ahead and start, you know, attacking you two, almost as if it's like they, they know what's going on. And it's people that have never so much as left their state. Suddenly, they're, they're foreign policy experts. And suddenly, the, the experiences that you and him have dealt with, they're not real because that's not what MSNBC said. Well, remember, bread lines are good. <laughs> They're so good. Yeah, because I love to be on the sun for like 15 hours just so I could go grocery shopping. And once a week, yeah, because I actually love that. No, I want to go to the supermarket whenever I want to buy whatever I want. Um, how, how, how do you deal with those people? I mean, I, I can only assume that like, like when I've dealt with haters online, I usually just ignore them. Usually yeah. there's, there's no way I could convince them because they don't want to be convinced. They don't want to have a discussion. They just want to fight. Yeah. They just want to take a screenshots of everything I say for the moment and say something stupid. They can use it against me, but mostly what I do is just ignore them. But it depends on how I feel. If there is a day that I feel like fighting with one of them, I will do it. Believe me, I'll go after them. Um, I have had so many people like uh, this coming. They're like, feelings don't, uh, fats don't care about feelings, something like that. I was like, really? So you're telling me that what I went through in Venezuela, I'm just like making that up? Um, so mostly it's just like the best thing you can do is just ignore them. Um, it, sometimes they say things that really, it really hurts because you have lost so many things. I mean, I was forced to leave my family. Um, I was a mommy's baby, you know. I have always been a mommy's baby. And I had to leave my little brother and my little sister, which uh, it, it broke my heart because I, last time, when I, when I left the first time, my little brother was 12. And I remember when I came back a year and two months after, my little brother, who had a baby face, he was way taller than me. He was like a man, you know. He wasn't a baby anymore. So it, those are the things that you miss about being with your family every day and that's what i think the thing about these kids that actually want socialism they have no idea what socialism means 
Um, they just know that it sounds great uh, because they're going to give you so many free stuff. But it's like what I say. For example, th this is my theory about socialism. Um, when you go to your mom or dad, hey, mom, dad, can I have $300? And they tell you, well, you're going to have $300 if you clean the whole entire house, right? So they're telling you that if you do something they want you to do, they're going to give you that money. But if you say, well, no, I'm not going to clean the house. I'm just going to go work for myself and get that money. That's how I see socialism. They're like, well, I'm going to give you this much money if you vote for me. Yes, let's do that. But then you have all of these uh, people who hate socialism. They're like, no, thank you. I will work for that money. I don't care. That's how I feel. Um, these kids don't have any idea. And the, the worst thing is that they have never even left the country. They don't even know what it is to take a plane to another country, to another culture, to see new things. They have no idea what it is. We have to leave our home when we were 17. I have just graduated from high school. I was a kid, pretty much. I didn't know the language. I did know nothing. I have never been to the United States. So it, it's shocking, but you know, you just got to get used to it and you just got to keep fighting for what you actually want. Because if we don't fight for a country, then no one's going to fight for us. Yeah, I mean, with, with the American left, they really do pick and choose what socialism they want to talk about. And I mean, we always look, I, I call it, I call it the picturesque socialism. They're talking about small Scandinavian countries. They're talking about France. They're talking about mm -hmm. places where they, they have legitimate problems. But if you're going there as a tourist, you're not going to see it unless you're actually paying attention to the news and you understand yeah. the language, you're not going to understand it. It's like they're just mm -hmm. going there to take photos and eat food and come home and they they didn't understand it from the people that actually live there and then when you bring up socialism under you know the soviet union for example i, I know plenty of people who were in gulags for example uh, gabriella hoffman uh at town hall i mean i've spoken to her father her father was put in a gulag for almost a decade and mm -hmm. her family eventually fled to the united states and now what we have going on in in Venezuela, here you have really an example of socialism when it hits its completion, when you start to take mm -hmm. away private property, when you start to nationalize industries, when you get to the point where you're suppressing civil liberties of, of people. And, and this is why I very much tell Americans, it's like, you know, go to Cuba, actually mm -hmm. go to Cuba and don't do what Beyonce and Jay-Z do and just pretend it's an Instagram experience for you to go ahead oh and be the cool God. American taking photos mm -hmm. with poor people. Understand like that's a living museum of communism right there. Yeah. And it, uh, it, it'll never, it, it will never surprise me to, to hear the stories of people. I, I have family who are, um, who are left wing of me and my uncle went to Cuba a few years ago with his wife. And I mean, he told me that he went there expecting a cheap vacation, a cheap vacation under the sun. And what he saw were people living in just absolutely horrendous conditions in a, in a way that we would never allow ourselves to be treated in the United States. And he would have never come to that conclusion until he actually saw it with his own eyes. And I believe that sometimes that's the only way people can understand it. Yeah, and, and that's the best thing. We, we don't want this to, come, to happen here because I was talking to my friends a few days ago. Um, we were working so many things with Diaz and things like that. So I was getting kind of like a meeting, like a set up like a video call with them and talk about what's next and talk about the, the ideas that I have had so we can, you know, get something together. They were telling me, like, Maria, if the socialism comes to America, where, where are we going to go? I, I told them, I was like, guys, 
have no idea. And I'm hoping it doesn't come here. But if it does, then this is the last place that we could actually be free, you know? So I'm like, I I, can, I don't have an answer for you guys. Um, I think what we can do is just keep talking um, about what we're doing, keep talking about our story. And I know it hurts. There's so many things about our stories that actually hurt to tell other people. But this is the only way that they're going to understand Absolutely. So we're kind of running up on time. If people want to go ahead and follow up with you, see everything you're doing for Young Americans Against Socialism, how can they connect with you? How can they see more of the projects you all are doing? Um, so with uh, YAS will be, um, their Instagram account will be Y-A-A-S America. And it's the same thing on Instagram. On my Twitter, it will be Maria F. Bello 96. And my Instagram account is M-A-F-E-R-B-S-N-Boy-S-5-2. Perfect. Well, Maria, thank you so much for coming on. This was, I mean, I, I learned a ton from this. I know that our listeners are definitely <laughs> going to come away a little bit differently because like I said, this is one of those situations where despite having, you know, many competing very free media outlets despite having the the whole world at our fingertips on a phone or a laptop this is really Mm -hmm. one of those things that we've either become willingly ignorant of or we just don't know where to start so conversations like these really do help with that yeah they do um that's the only thing we can do to help our country or to help other countries Absolutely. Well, folks, if you enjoy conversations like this, go ahead, subscribe to the show. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, you can catch me anywhere across the internet. You know how it works at Hey Remso. Be sure to find me on Parlor. I'm just at Remso, R-E-M-S-O. If you ever see Remso 2 pop up on there, message them and call them a loser. As always, listening to On The Run, I'm Remso W. Martinez. Good night. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians network at wearelibertarians.com.